Good morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, open up to Exodus chapter 7 this morning. We, we looked at the first 13 verses of Exodus 7 last week, and, and today we're going to finish uh, up that chapter. So in Exodus chapter 7, starting in verse 14, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the Nile and stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there should be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did, as the Lord commanded, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. I pray that you use it today to correct us, to rebuke us, uh, and to ultimately grow us more and more into righteousness. Help us to see Jesus through this text, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, so last week, we, we saw the, the confrontation between God and Pharaoh begin. So, so God comes to Moses and he says, hey, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But, but here's the thing, Moses, he's not going to listen to you because I have hardened his heart. And what we said was is that God had a plan to glorify himself, and that plan did not include the salvation of Pharaoh. And Moses' job was to go and to tell Pharaoh all the words that God had put into his mouth to say. And so he, he goes, and as he goes, Pharaoh asks for a sign, and so Aaron throws down his staff and it turns into a snake. Pharaoh's guys, through demonic power, do the exact same thing, but Aaron's snake swallows theirs. And so this was a sign to Pharaoh that Yahweh is the true God, that he's the one calling the shots, not Pharaoh. And what we said was is that you and I as believers this side of the cross have been given a greater sign, and that sign is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that validated that he was God. And so as believers now, our hope is in the fact that our God is not dead, but he's alive. Now this morning for, for this sermon, before we begin, I, I want you to imagine a scenario with me for a second. I want you to imagine that you live in the most powerful country in the world. 
So, so you are the, the world's supreme superpower in terms of economic and military might. All right, imagine you live in that country and imagine a plague arrives on your shores and overnight your world changes. The economy begins to break down. There's a run on grocery stores because people who are used to eating out all of a sudden are first to cook meals at home. So they begin hoarding food. For, for some inexplicable reason, toilet paper disappears. It's just gone. Like, like people become afraid of one another. People are told to stick, stay six feet from one another. And, and if somebody gets within five feet or, or four feet, they, they freak out and they jump out of the way. People begin to be laid off from work. Schools close. Hospitals begin closing because people are afraid to go to the hospital. That, that overnight, everything about your life in this powerful country is changed. Now, I don't know if you can imagine what that would be like. <laughs> that six weeks ago, we probably couldn't. But I think we can all agree that we're living this scenario right now. Which makes us coming to Exodus chapter 7, verse 14, providential. Because we don't have to imagine what it was like for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Now, I think what, what happens to the Egyptians is, is far worse than, than what will, will happen to us and what we'll experience when this is all said and done. But I think we get a feel for, for what is going to, to begin to happen in this text. And I think it'll help us to see what God is showing us. So look with me, if you will, in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 19. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Now, a quick note about the Egyptians. The Egyptians were polytheist. They worshipped many gods. Uh, and the Egyptians were, were much like uh, Americans. They didn't really care what gods you worshipped, right? I mean, worship however you want. That, that's fine. That's great. What Pharaoh took offense to is that the God of Israel actually had a claim on his life. And so it's the exact same thing in our culture when it comes to the claims of Jesus. So, so if you start inferring that Jesus was God and, and that he actually did what he said he did, is that he came to pay for our sins, to die on a cross and to rise again, that he wasn't just a good man, that that's when people have a problem. Right? If you just believe he was a good man or a good teacher, they, they don't care. But when you begin to say that Jesus lays claim to your life, that's where the problems occur. And so the plagues are God's way of letting Pharaoh know that he is, in fact, the only true God. God is about to go head to head with the gods of Egypt. There were about 80 major deities in Egypt. 
all centered around the natural forces of Egyptian life, the Nile River, the land, and the sky. And so the plagues that we're going to see God send follow a three-force pattern. The, the first two plagues are against the God of the Nile. The next four are against the land gods. And the final four are against the gods of the sky, culminating in the death of the firstborn son. And so in verse 14, once again, God comes to Moses and he tells him to go and talk to Pharaoh. And he tells him, listen, Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. Pharaoh's heart is heavy. This is God making a moral judgment on Pharaoh. It's a reminder to us that the Lord of heaven has judged Pharaoh, the God of Egypt, to be unrighteous. And so God says, Moses, go to him again. This time, I want you to go to him and meet him at the Nile. This is significant because most likely Pharaoh was there to pay homage to the gods of the Nile, specifically the God Happy, the God of the flood. So Moses, I want you to go and confront him and I want you to tell him to let my people go so that they may serve me or they may worship me. Our purpose in life is to worship God. The children of Israel are not saved to do as they pleased. They are saved to become a worshiping people. This side of the cross, we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ to live for him and to serve him. So Moses, go tell him to let you go so that you can worship me. And then in verse 17, it says this. It says that you will know that I am the Lord. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, if you remember, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. God is saying, you're about to know exactly who I am. I am going to turn the Nile into blood. The Egyptian way of life was centered around the Nile. The Nile was their primary source of existence. Greek historians said that the Egypt is the Nile and the Nile is Egypt. And so God is going to begin by striking at the very heart of their existence. This river was their lifeblood. Without it, they didn't have crops. It was their transportation system to move goods from place to place. It was their irrigation system. It was their food supply. In fact, the annual flooding of the Nile set their calendar. And so God's saying, hey, I'm going to strike at the very heart of what makes Egypt great. So let my people go or else. And in verse 18 or 19, he tells him what he's going to do. He says, the fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And in verse 19, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water so that they may become blood and there shall be blood through all out all the land of Egypt even in vessels of wood and in vessels of snow stone so pharaoh let my people go or there's going to be blood throughout Egypt the first plague is also giving us a taste of what is to come the next time there will be a judgment of blood in the water, it's going to be at the Red Sea. And it'll be the armies of Egypt filling the Red Sea with death. But Pharaoh's stubborn and he will not turn back. So God will bring death to Egypt. 
The whole point is that God is sovereign over Pharaoh. God is sovereign over the Nile. God is sovereign over all of creation. And God is sovereign over Egypt. And in verse 20, look what happens. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So, so Moses and Aaron carry out the task that God assigned them and everything happens just like God said it would. God doesn't only do a great miracle. He tells you what's going to happen before he does it. And so they strike the water. The water turns into blood and it says the fish in the Nile died and it says it stank. That the people couldn't drink the water and that there was blood throughout all the land. This was Yahweh striking a blow against the gods of the Nile. In Numbers chapter 33 verse 4, Moses will say, On their gods also the Lord's executed judgment. Now, now it's interesting to note that the children of Israel experienced this plague alongside Egypt. In fact, they will experience all of them except for hail, darkness, and death. Tim Chester says, For living in a world under God's judgment means God's people suffer alongside those who are rejecting Him. And I think that's true for us as believers is that we live in a fallen, broken world. We live in a world that has been subjected to futility, as the book of Romans says, a world that is, is under the curse of sin, and that as believers, we will not escape suffering and hardship. And there will be times that we will suffer and go through difficulty. I believe right now we're seeing this, that, that this virus is um, a result of the fall of a broken world. And so right now we are suffering hardship and difficulty because of the world we live in. And that's the same thing that happens to the children of Israel. Is that they're living in a world under God's judgment and so they will suffer alongside those who are rejecting Him for a short period of time until God brings them out. Verse 22. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So, so, so Pharaoh brings out his guys again, and, and they duplicate the sign, most likely through demonic help. They had to use their dark arts to do this, while Moses and Aaron just simply obey God, and God takes care of everything else. And, and the thing that, about this sign that, 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 that I find funny is, is why would you want to duplicate this sign? Right? I mean, if you're Pharaoh's guys, wouldn't you want to try to take the water and turn it back, uh, the, the blood, and turn it back into water? But instead, somehow, some way, we don't know how, they, they find some clean water and they're able to turn it into blood. They make matters worse instead of fixing the problem. And see, this is always the case with Satan. His power is self-defeating. Even his counterfeit signs ultimately serve the glory of God. The, the greatest example is the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, at the time, it must have seemed like Satan's greatest triumph. The Son of God bleeding and dying on a bloody cross. 
But what Satan didn't know was that as Jesus hung on that cross, he was propitiating or satisfying God's wrath by atoning for the sins of his people. And three days later, he rose from the dead and Satan discovered that his greatest win was actually his greatest loss. The death of Christ is what God used to save sinners and to grant them eternal life. But the magicians are just able to duplicate the miracle. They, they can't solve anything. And Pharaoh's seen enough, and his heart remains hard. Philip Ryken says Pharaoh's cardiac condition prevented him from paying any attention to God, even when God judged him for his sins. And so Pharaoh turns around and he walks back into his palace as the Nile is turned to blood for seven days. And he seems absolutely unconcerned with this. I mean, his guys duplicated the miracles. That's all he needed to see. And so I think what this tells us is that first off, is if you're watching this, this morning, if you don't know Jesus, you either accept his revelation as the God who takes away sins, and through his life, death, and resurrection, he makes you to be his own, and he becomes your God. Or like Pharaoh, you respond by going into your house with no concern and rejecting him. And the Bible is clear, the final judgment of God will be upon you. So you have two options this morning. Either bow the knee and submit your life to Jesus saying, hey, the only way that I'm ever going to be made right with God the Father is through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ or be judged in God's just judgment. And Exodus 7 closes with this pathetic picture of Pharaoh's servants frantically digging for groundwater. When the gods of the Nile failed, the Egyptians were left to themselves. And this is exactly what happens to people who, who worship false gods. Now listen to me, as Americans, we are not immune to the worship of idols. We still worship the same gods as the Egyptians. Only the names have changed. What we count on, what we work for, what we play at, ultimately reveal what we worship. I think over the last several weeks, we've seen firsthand what, what some of our idols are. For some of us, it's money. And don't get me wrong, our economy is very important, and we need to do everything to be getting that going, and I'm thankful that our leaders have started that process this week. And I realize that people have lost jobs and, and that they're out of jobs. And I'm not minimizing any of that. But I am saying is that this has exposed us to the many ways that, that we worship money. That, that we worship things. That it is an idol to us. Some of us worship comfort. This has not been comfortable. And, and so many of us are driven to secure a life that is easier, not harder. A life that makes avoiding stress and difficulty the primary motivating factor in our lives. Hear me. This is exactly how I am. I am so guilty of this. I, I run on a strict schedule and, and, and routine. And, and when that schedule and when that routine is taking away, taken away, I become anxious. I become irritable. I become hard to be around. And I'm finding out through this time that comfort and ease and normalcy has been my default God. For some of us, we worship control. 
We, we have to restrain and regulate every situation. And what's happened is, is that we've found ourselves in a situation that we cannot control. So we've become angry. We've become anxious. We've become fearful. And there's many other gods, there's many other idols that, that we have bent the knee to that during this time, brothers and sisters, during this time that, that God has allowed this plague in His providence to expose our idols, to show us all the things we worship in place of Him. See, the doctrine of God's providence teaches us that there are no accidents, or as R.C. Sproul says, there are no maverick molecules. The sovereign hand of God behind His wise providence, has allowed this to take place, and it should prompt us to thoughtful reflection. It should prompt us to introspection, not to indifference. So let us not be like Pharaoh during this time and, and harden our hearts. Instead, allow God to gently expose our idols and remove them from our life. And, and the way that God does that, the way that we do that, it's through repentance. Now, now listen to me. Repentance is not just for non-Christians. This has become a, a thoroughly popular belief in some churches that, that it's only for non-Christians, but it's just not true. Martin Luther, in the first of his 95 theses, said this, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Jesus said on four different occasions to the churches uh, in the book of Revelation to repent. And listen, these verses were written to the churches. Some pastors want to use this as a workaround to say, well, he's talking to the pastors to repent, not the churches. No, he's talking to all of the churches to repent. In Revelation chapter, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Revelation 2.16, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Revelation 3, 2 through 3, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my gods. My God, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now, now, when I talk about repentance, I'm not talking about repentance in the religious sense. R religious repentance is us trying to keep God happy so He'll bless us and continue to answer our prayers. That's selfish, self-righteous, and that's a bitter cup to drink. See, because of the gospel and because of our standing before God being based on Jesus, we repent to tap into our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. On this issue, Tim Keller is very helpful here. He says this. He says, in religion, our only hope is to live a good enough life for God to bless us. Therefore, every instance of sin and repentance is traumatic, unnatural, and horribly threatening. 
Only under great duress does a religious person admit they have sinned because their only hope is in their moral goodness. But listen to this. But in the gospel, the knowledge of our acceptance in Christ makes it easier to admit we're flawed because we know we won't be cast off if we confess the true depths of our sinfulness. That in other words, that Jesus has paid the bills and so nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's what he means. So our hope is in Christ's righteousness, not our own. So it is not so traumatic to admit our weaknesses and lapses. Because of Jesus, we're not afraid to go and say, I'm sorry, Father, forgive me. I have sinned. And, and, and it's, not, it's not traumatic for us to repent. Keller says in religion, we repent less and less often. And then he says this, but the more accepted and loved in the gospel we feel, the more and more often we will be repenting. This creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth. The more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. When you see that God can love somebody like us, it makes His love even more magnificent. But Keller closes by saying, but on the other hand, the more aware you are of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, the more you are able to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions of your sin. The sin under all other sins is a lack of joy in Christ. So, so what I want you to see during this time as we continue to struggle and work through the effects of, of COVID-19 is that God may be showing us the shallowness of our idols and through His gracious, loving discipline, He's calling us to repent and to refocus our eyes back on the author of our faith back to the only one who can provide what you're looking for in other things. Jesus is the only one who can bring comfort to your life. Jesus is the only one who can bring peace. Jesus is the only one who's truly in control. And brothers and sisters, that is where our hope is found, is in Jesus. So I pray today that we would be a people who would examine our lives, that we would see where the false gods are, where the idols are that, that we've turned to, that we would repent, turn away from those things, and turn back to Christ, turn back to finding our joy, our value, our worth, finding um, everything in Him, knowing that we can go to Him and confess our sins, and knowing that He will not cast us out because He's paid for them, and that He loves us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this day, and thank You for all that You've given us. Father, may we not be like Pharaoh. Father, may we not harden our hearts, but instead see where we have false gods, see where we have idols, and Father, lay those down, turn from those, and turn back to our first love, turn back to the author of our faith, back to Jesus. Father, I thank You that we can come to You with our sins, Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you never cast us out. I pray that if anybody um, does not know you today, that as we've preached the gospel, that today you've saved them and you've changed their hearts and lives. And that, Father, they would, um, they would reach out to a friend. They would, message us, uh, they would send us a message on Facebook uh, and just tell us that, that today they, they want to know more about becoming a Christian.
Father, we love you. We thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.